You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. this point and never turn to the one true living God. They make the wrong choice. They reach this point and they give up. I've had it with religion. I've had it with God. And they walk out the door and they never go back. They never seek God again. But I was so fortunate. I can't believe how fortunate I was. I can't believe that I was fortunate because God continued to track me down. Remember we talked about the hound of heaven? He tracked me down. He had me in his crosshairs. And he continued all my life. And he continued looking to me. Have you ever been in a situation where your faith in God was at an all-time low? We all face challenges and, as a result, turn away from our true and living God. Pastor Dave explains today how God allows you and brings you back to him. Even if you leave God, he will never abandon you because he loves you. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 10 as he begins his message, Religion versus Relationship. You are we're going to begin a new chapter and we're going to begin a new phase of the book of Acts. Things are turning now. Things are starting to turn from the church in Jerusalem. Things are starting to turn from the Jews and now they're starting to turn towards the Gentiles. And from now on, we're going to be talking about the ministry to the Gentiles, the ministry of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, which begins in Acts chapter 10. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, we're going to be looking at the first eight verses this morning, reading from the book of Acts in chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up before a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called out, called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. In 1738, there was a man in London. He was considered very religious. He was a church member. He was a minister. He was even the son of a minister. He belonged to the religious club at Oxford University. And the purpose of this club was to perfect the Christian life. This man even served as a foreign missionary. But even as he would preach the word of God to others, he himself had absolutely no insurance of his own personal salvation. He had no assurance of the salvation that was available to him from Jesus Christ. He had a religion, but he did not have 
a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In May of the same year, 1738, he reluctantly attended a small meeting in London where someone was reading aloud from Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. This is the actual entry from this man's diary describing what happened on May 24th, 1738. Quote, about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt something strangely warm in my heart. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given to me that instant that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death, unquote. The man's name, John Wesley. What followed this awakening by the Holy Spirit is known as the Wesleyan Revival. It completely revitalized and revitalized the entire British colonies, the British community. It transformed their society through faith in Christ and Christian action. In an instant that day, John Wesley, John Wesley went from having a religion to having a relationship and being in a relationship. In fact, that's what the message is titled today, Religion Versus Relationship. And this is what we see happening here today. This is what we see beginnings of the happening here with Cornelius. What we see happening here is we meet a man named Cornelius who is steeped in religion. He is steeped in religious activities. He's, but he's also unsatisfied with his religious activities. He's searching for something else. We see a man who is determined to find salvation. A man who is very, very similar to John Wesley. A man who had a religion but he didn't have a relationship. We read in Acts 10, verses 1 and 2, there was a man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Some translation says, of the Italian band. And right away you think, well, what is he doing, playing music over there in the, in the halls of Rome or something like that? No. It's a regiment is a better translation because Cornelius was a centurion. And a centurion in the Roman army was very, very much like a master sergeant in our army. A centurion was one who was responsible for and had authority over men. And that's what his job was. In this case, it is believed that Cornelius was in charge of about 100 men. In other words, he had 100 men beneath him. They were part of the Italian regiment, meaning they were directly from Rome or the surrounding area from Rome directly. That's the meaning of the Italian regiment. But Dr. Luke gives us a deeper information into Cornelius' character. He tells us that the Cornelius was a devout man, a God-fearing man. Not only he, but Cornelius led his whole household to be God-fearing as well. And we see that Cornelius was also a generous man. He says he's giving alms generously to the people. Now, the, the, the word the people here means the Jewish people. He was giving generously of his alms to the Jewish people. And we read that Cornelius was a man of prayer. And it says he prayed always to God. Now, from the look of these descriptions, we can say that Cornelius was indeed what? A religious man. He was a religious man. In fact, the definition of devout, I looked it up, it reads this way, 
one yielding a solemn or reverential attention to God in religious exercises, particularly in prayer, one who is pious, devoted to religion, being very religious. Cornelius was described as a devout man. From these descriptors, it appears that Cornelius was doing everything right. He was doing the right things. He had a reverent fear of God. He taught that fear of God to his household, and he gave to many on a regular basis, and he prayed. I bet if we hung out with Cornelius for a while, we'd think that he was a Christian. We'd say, look at this guy. He's a Christian. He does all the things that Christians do. Remember our discussion, if it looks like a duck? What Cornelius had was a religion, and he was good at practicing his religion. And although he was not a Jew by birth because Cornelius was a Gentile, he turned to Judaism because all the pagan gods of Rome, along with their myths and all their laws and all their rituals, seemed very empty to him. He turned to Judaism because he wanted to find salvation. And he knew that the Jews had a relationship with God, the one true living God. And he wanted to find salvation through that. Cornelius was a seeker of God. But Cornelius was wrong. All he found in Judaism were more rules, more laws, more traditions that he couldn't uphold, more lives that he couldn't make right, more traditions that he couldn't seem to pass. But as I said, Cornelius was a seeker. He was a seeker of God. And when you read the last part of Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says this, He, meaning the Lord, is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He, the Lord, is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Cornelius was about to be rewarded. He was about to be rewarded. You know, it's interesting to me that how many people in a time of great need turn to religion. Amen? We look for answers in religions. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, I turned to religion. I remember that empty feeling returning to my life. A feeling I thought that I had put away, put aside. It was horrible. I was no longer satisfied with the things of the world, the things of life, and nothing could bring me a sense of peace. And even though I had survived a divorce and I had remarried a, a beautiful, loving woman, I couldn't make those empty feelings go away. They wouldn't leave me. There must be more than this, I thought. There has to be something else. There has to be more than this. And so again, I tried to fill that void that was in me with all sorts of outside things. And eventually, all those old patterns, all those old habits came back into my life. And they became very destructive to my life and to the ones that I loved, the ones that were around me. And I couldn't seem to do anything about it. Several months before I actually accepted the Lord into my life, it was in 1991, we were in the midst of something called the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, remember? We watched it on TV. I thought, I need to get back to God. I need to return to religion. So that Sunday, I went to the Lutheran church. I was a Lutheran. I was born a Lutheran, I think. I was baptized a Lutheran. I was confirmed a Lutheran. I practiced Lutheranism. I was an acolyte who lit the candles before the services. I can't tell you how many times I spoke with my pastor, and he constantly talked to me about going up to Muhlenberg or Gettysburg, which are Lutheran colleges which lead to Lutheran seminary. He wanted me to become a Lutheran pastor, a Lutheran minister. So I went back to the Lutheran church. I went back to my roots. I felt that's where I belong. If I'm seeking God, I'm going to go back to where I belong, to the religion, to the Lutheran religion. I thought going back would bring me fulfillment. I thought it would 
bring everything together and I would find the trueness and meaning of what I was searching for. I thought that this change would lead to a change in my life. And I was desperately seeking a way to get out of this destructive behavior, get out of the things that were happening in my life. I couldn't get out of them. I was trapped. But just like Cornelius, I was wrong. I couldn't find anything there. Instead of being encouraged and uplifted, instead of feeling a sense of peace and fulfillment, upon leaving one Sunday, I found that I was even more empty and unsatisfied in my heart than I was before. It was then that I knew that religion was not what I needed. I didn't need religion. I was at a crossroads. I didn't know which way to turn. I didn't know which way I was going to go. Do I continue to seek or do I give up my search and just live the life that I've been living all along? All of its destructive behaviors, knowing the results, knowing what the end results would be, another failed marriage, another hopeless despair time, what would I have to do? You know, many people reach this point and never turn to the one true living God. They make the wrong choice. They reach this point and they give up. I've had it with religion. I've had it with God. And they walk out the door and they never go back. They never seek God again. But I was fortunate. I can't believe how fortunate I was. I can't believe that I was fortunate because God continued to track me down. Remember we talked about the hound of heaven? He tracked me down. He had me in his crosshairs. And he continued on my life. And he continued looking to me. He was the one that put in my heart what I needed. He was the one that put in my heart the want to be wanted. And what I needed was him. And him alone. I was so discouraged. But he kept on pressing upon me the want, the need to seek. Maybe you're at a crossroads this morning. Maybe you're empty. Maybe you're discouraged. You've been seeking God, but maybe you've been seeking him in a religious way. Maybe you're tired and you're about to give up, and you're, you're only going to have a chance later on to hang in there. And when you look at the activities of what we might think is religious, such as going to church, reading your Bible, giving your time and money, helping others, hanging out with other Christians, even praying various rote prayers, all these activities are good in and of themselves, but they are futile alone to obtain salvation. They are futile alone to obtain salvation. It doesn't work. Just being involved in these activities will not give you an assurance of salvation. Ask John Wesley. They will not give you an assurance of salvation. Unfortunately, religion is more about man than it is about God. I mean, religion is based on man. Man's efforts, man's attempts, man's good work. Religion is man-made. It's man's attempt to get to God, to get close to God through a series of laws and through a series of works. Religions are based on the traditions of men and rituals. The more good works you do, the more God will like you and grant you salvation. Well, how many works do I have to do? Well, that depends upon who you talk to and what religious sect you're looking at. There's a lot of different things. They all have their own rules. There's no one right rule because they're all different. And you become lost in a sea of legalism, or lost in a sea of, of hope, of hope, because you can't find it. You can't find what you're looking for. Religion is based on my efforts. Religion is based on my good works. The goal of religion is to reach out to God and get to heaven. That's good. But it's a goal means you have to work your way to heaven. You know, things like lighting so many candles, saying the prayer, saying prayers over and over and over and over again, knocking on doors constantly. Those are works. Those are man-made works. 
they will not obtain you salvation, as good as they may be. But in religion, it's work that determines salvation. What's the power behind religion? The power behind religion is man, my good work, my good effort, my good self-determination. The thought of religion is surely God will not despise my good works and my hard effort. Surely God will allow that to happen. I'll never forget on, on Labor Day, quite a few years ago, my mother and father were down, and unfortunately we were watching the crash of Princess Diana, and her death was all over the screen. And I'll never forget my mother coming out, and she was almost in tears. Oh, she was such a good woman. She did so many good things for so many people. I'm sure that she's in heaven. I said, Mom, you don't understand. It's not about all the good works you do. It's not about all the great things that you do. You mean she's not going to heaven? I said, I didn't say that. That's between her and her maker. But the Bible clearly says that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, no, you're not. Oh, but she's done such good work. I said, yeah, she did. The chances of her being saved are probably great. But we don't know for sure. Good works don't get you into heaven. She was amazed. In Matthew, the seventh chapter of Matthew, Jesus said something. He said something pretty strong. And he said words that make my blood run cold. Words that make my blood so shrill that I have to shudder every time I read them. Beginning in verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Haven't we done many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Oh, oh, oh. Is he talking to religious people? Those who did all the works and were expecting to enter into the kingdom of God? Was he talking to the religious? Who controls religion? You control yourself in religion. It's self-control, self-motivation. And what are the results of religion? What are the results of religion? Well, I can tell you what the results that I found. Apathy, failure, chronic guilt, eternal separation from God. That's the result of religion. Why? Why are those the results, Dave? Because you can never do enough and you can never be good enough. You can never do enough work to get there and you can never be good enough to get there and you're always dissatisfied. You're always empty. Why? Because there's no spirit to guide you. There is no spirit to guide you into all truth. There is no spirit to guide you into salvation. You are on your own. You do it or you don't do it. It's all about you. Answer me this. Did you ever get up one day, early in the morning, you rose early in the morning, you opened up your Bible, and you started to read your Bible, and the Lord's slamming you with all kinds of wonderful things and wonderful thoughts, and you're having a beautiful time, and you pray, and you're having a wonderful time, and then you go about your day, and you get hammered and hit, and all kinds of things go wrong, and you go, what's wrong with this? Didn't I pray this morning? Didn't I have great fellowship with God this morning? How come I'm getting hammered? That's religion. Thinking because you spend time with God, you're going to have a great day. That's religion. Thinking that you're going to do something that God will recognize and say, I'll grant you a good day because you're a good boy. That's religion. That's what religion looks like. Thinking you can gain God's favor through work is religion. God will never love you more than he loves you right now. 
God will never love you more than he loves you right now. God is always the same. His love never ends. His love never fails. His love casts out all fear. His love covers the multitude of sin. His love is ever constant. It never changes. He never will love you more than you are loved right now. If you never did another thing for the Lord, God's love will still be the same. He loves the greatest sinner out there in the world as much as he loves you right now. They just don't know it. Jeremiah proclaimed, Oh Lord, you've loved me with an everlasting love. An everlasting love. Cornelius was searching. He didn't, he, he wanted to know what he did, wanted to do. He didn't know he didn't want these Roman gods. He knew that they wouldn't satisfy his needs. He chose Judaism. He was as close to Judaism as he could get without being a proselyte. And according to Acts 13, verse 16, many men who feared God, and this fear, when they feared God, it made them ripe for a harvest. Cornelius was ready. He was more than willing, and God was more than able to answer his need. You know, of all the religious activities that Cornelius did and was involved in, the one that stands out the most to me is prayer. He was involved in prayer. Cornelius was a man of prayer. And although he was not able to offer the religious sacrifices in the temple because he was forbidden to offer those sacrifices, he presented his prayers to God as a sacrifices. Could this be acceptable to God? Could our prayers as a sacrifice be acceptable to God? In Psalm 141, 1 and 2, the psalmist says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice. And when I cry out to you, let my prayer be set before you as incense, lifting up my hands as the evening sacrifice. Matthew Henry says prayer is a spiritual sacrifice. It is the offering up of the soul and its best affections to God. Cornelius was praying as a sacrifice. Paul tells the Christians in Rome, in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Through prayer, we present to God our bodies. We present to God our lives as a sacrifice that his will would be done. As we continue, we read in verses 3 to 6 about the ninth hour of the day. He saw clearly a vision of an angel of God coming in and saying, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up before a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa. Send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. For he is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Cornelius is a man of prayer. Cornelius is a man who prayed always to God. Cornelius was walking in the light that he had been given. Do you hear that? Cornelius was walking in the light that he had beginning and, it, and the knowledge that he had of the Lord. That's what he was walking in. And that's all he could walk in because he didn't know any else. We are supposed to walk into the knowledge and the love of the Lord that we have in the light of the Lord that we've been given to you. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 12, it says that a man will be a judge according to the knowledge of the light that he's received. But if we are always to walk in the light and the knowledge that we have, and if we walk in the light that we do have, then what happens? God gives us more light, and He gives us more understanding. You are a sure 
Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? He met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope. Show.